Good evening. Biden strikes out again against Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria. The infrastructure deal, will the benefits be squandered by Wall Street? Another dust-up with the cops in Washington Square Park as a more political pride march celebrates love and revolution. And the story behind the vandalism of statues of George Floyd in Brooklyn and Newark. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, June 28, 2021. United States airstrikes hit targets on both sides of the Iraq-Syria border. The attacks were in response to recent drone strikes on United States forces by Iran-backed militias. The targets were two militia locations in Syria and one in Iraq used by the Qatab Hezbollah, or KH, and Qatab Saeed al-Shuhada, KSS, groups, both linked to Iran. KSS reports four of its members were killed in the attacks. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the strikes were meant to send a message to Iranian-backed militias. With regard to the, uh, the strike last night, uh, at uh, the president's direction, uh, U.S. military forces conducted airstrikes against facilities used by uh, Iranian-backed militia groups uh, in the Iraq-Syria border region. Uh, they targeted facilities used by uh, groups responsible for recent attacks on uh, U.S. interests in Iraq. Uh, specifically, uh, they targeted uh, operational weapons storage facilities at two locations in Syria, one location in Iraq, both very close to the border between the countries, Several Iran-backed militia groups, including KH, including KSS, use these facilities. We have been very clear, the president has been very clear throughout that we will act to protect U.S. personnel. And given these ongoing attacks by Iran-backed groups targeting our interests in Iraq, uh, he directed further military action, we've taken action previously, to disrupt and deter these attacks. We took necessary, appropriate, deliberate action that is designed to limit the risk of escalation, but also to send a clear and unambiguous deterrent message. This action in self-defense to do what's necessary to prevent further attacks, I think sends a very important and strong message. I hope very much that it is received by those who are intended to receive it. And the one other part of my question, I had asked whether you hold Iran responsible for these attacks. A number of the groups involved in recent attacks are militia that are backed by Iran. And that's Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Separately, Syrian state media said without providing evidence, the U.S. strikes hit residential buildings near the border around 1 a.m. local time, killing one child and wounding three residents. At least five drone attacks on U.S. personnel have occurred in the region this year. Iraqi officials say they're opposed to retaliatory strikes in their country because it complicates Iraq's already fragile politics. The strikes come as the United States and Iran continue tense negotiations to revive a 2015 nuclear accord. Meanwhile, thousands of Afghan families have been forced to flee their homes and live in makeshift tents in Nagel in the Kunduz province yesterday as government soldiers and Taliban fighters battled. Afghan forces announced they've retaken some areas from Taliban control, though heavy clashes between the two groups are ongoing. The fighting comes amid a withdrawal of U.S.-led NATO foreign forces that began in May. Some 5,000 displaced families in the Kunduz province are now living in makeshift tents, according to official estimates, with some saying they lack food and water. And the search and rescue operation at a collapsed condo in Surfside, Florida, continues for a fifth day. 
but no one has been found alive since hours after the collapse on Thursday. Ten people have been confirmed killed. 150 others are still missing. The pancake collapse of the 12-story building left layer upon layer of intertwined debris, frustrating efforts to reach anyone who may have survived in a pocket of space. Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava says rescuers will continue the search. She was joined by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. This morning, we did recover another body. That brings the count to 10. The total number of those accounted for is now 135, and the total unaccounted, 151. Families, because of the process we've gone through, are coming to their own conclusions. Some are feeling uh, more hopeful, some less hopeful, because we do not have definitive answers. We give them the facts. We take them to the site. We show them the operation. We show them where the pancake is. We show them where the tunnel is. We show them where the dogs are, are running up and uh, identifying something that is that is then going to be explored. They have seen the operation. They understand now how it works, and they are preparing themselves for news one way or the other. Those uh, recovery efforts from the family of, of helping them get back on their feet, helping them cope uh, with trauma, uh, that's going to be ongoing. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava. Rain has been a constant. The intermittent downpours and drizzle hampering the rescue as workers sink a trench into the pancake remains of the Champlain Tower South in Surfside, a community just north of Miami Beach. Relatives visited throughout the day. More than two dozen family members watched teams of searchers excavate the building site. Some held on to each other for support. Others hugged and prayed. Some people took photos. In related news, the New York City Buildings Department is shutting down more than 300 construction sites across the city after a series of safety inspections. The zero-tolerance evaluations were designed to cut down on construction worker injuries and deaths in the city. More than a third of the sites closed were in Brooklyn. Seven workers have died in construction accidents so far this year, three in May alone. That's compared to eight deaths in all of last year and 12 in 2019. City Hall is also working on a number of bills designed to improve construction worker safety. A hearing on those is expected next month. And in Washington, President Joe Biden is hoping to get the bipartisan infrastructure deal on track by highlighting its expected economic benefits. Biden has been stressing the $973 billion package includes the largest investment in transportation in nearly a century, creating millions of jobs. The total is four times the size of the infrastructure investment made a dozen years ago in response to the Great Recession and the biggest infrastructure package since Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. The deal seemed threatened when Biden suggested it would be held up until he also received a separate package for infrastructure, jobs and education determined by Democrats through the budget reconciliation process. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Monday, that's today, that Biden is eager for both bills to be approved by Congress and is going to work his hard out to make it happen. The president looks forward to signing each bill. Uh, he's long supported the two-track approach, and his view is that the American people are most interested in 
what we're going to do to deliver for them, how we're going to rebuild their roads and their railways and their bridges, how we're going to make sure they have access to broadband, that we're eliminating lead from drinking water. That's where his focus will continue to be. The case he'll make when he's in Wisconsin tomorrow, he will, of course, work very closely with the leaders in Congress, Leader Schumer, Speaker Pelosi. I know Leader Schumer has noted that he plans to bring up both the infrastructure bill and reconciliation in July, but he'll continue to work closely with them. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell mounted fresh obstacles speaking today in Kentucky. McConnell hasn't decided if he'll support the bipartisan package. He's pressuring House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer to allow the bipartisan arrangement to pass without mandating that the much larger and broader follow-up bill. And in New York City where former President Donald Trump withheld money for a new rail tunnel linking the city with New Jersey underneath the Hudson River. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg offered his support for an $11 billion project to build a new tunnel that's endured years of political squabbling and funding disputes. Buttigieg toured the current century-old rail tunnel connecting New York and New Jersey today, accompanied by members of the two states' congressional delegations, including New York Senator Chuck Schumer. He said it represented the absolute state-of-the-art of 1910. Senator Schumer and Secretary Buttigieg spoke today at the Moynihan train station on 8th Avenue. We can announce that the hostage that was Gateway Tunnel under the previous administration has been set free and we are on a rapid path to get it done. What we call our visit today and subsequent actions is the Gateway Turnaround. We in the Senate and the House will be able to procure in the two Build Back Better bill, in the two bills we are doing, the traditional infrastructure bipartisan bill and in the budget reconciliation bill, the billions of dollars we need to build Gateway. We just saw in the Hudson River tunnels, the bridges and the other parts of what makes up the Gateway, future Gateway project, critical infrastructure for the United States of America. And I do mean for the United States of America. It's vitally important to New York. It's vitally important to New Jersey. It's vitally important to the Northeast Corridor. But the impacts of this corridor are so, so great that if there were a loss of service, if one of these tunnels were to go out of service, you would be feeling the economic impact all the way back in Indiana, where I come from. That's how important this is. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg and Senator Chuck Schumer right before him. The federal government gave the tunnel project key environmental approvals last month. That had been a sticking point during the Trump administration as Schumer, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and others had accused Trump of purposely delaying the environmental approval for political reasons, a charge administration officials denied. And Professor Emeritus of Economics at the University of Massachusetts is William Lazonic. He's author of Predatory Value Extraction, How the Looting of the Business Corporation Became the U.S. Norm and How Sustainable Prosperity Can Be Restored. Lazonic argues Wall Street financial manipulations like stock buybacks are effectively looting the looting of corporations by shareholders. Lazonic says it's the federal government, uh, the federal government's uh, billions in infrastructure money. Uh, it, the federal government pays these companies billions of dollars in infrastructure money as it does that if, it pay, if these uh, laws are in fact passed, these bills and these packages. That money that these companies get may not be taxed and may not be reinvested towards the economic growth of the country. They've fallen behind. A major reason they've fallen behind is because they have been taking their profits and using them totally the wrong way. And they're not alone in this. So another company... Actually, the biggest repurchaser 
ever now in history is Apple. It has spent $420 billion since 2013 just buying back its stock. It spent about $110 billion on dividends, very ample dividends. You would get your stock price increase with Apple. Apple's still doing all okay in its products. But this is money totally wasted. Now, it turns out that actually the main U.S. competitors in semiconductor fabrication, which are Samsung and TSMC in Taiwan, they wouldn't be as strong, particularly TSMC, without Apple. So Apple is TSMC's biggest customer, about 25% of their revenues in the most advanced technologies, which are used for smartphones. What Apple could have done back, and it was suggested to them by people in the electronics industry back in 2010, they could have started investing in their own fab. They could have done spun it off as a separate company. They would have spent a fraction, maybe half at most, probably a third, that $420 billion if they had invested in that capability. Apple could have also very easily invested in environmentally clean products and clean energy. Again, they don't need to do it directly in their own company, but they can do it do a spin-off. The Apple board is only seven people. The second longest serving board member is the guy who's supposed to be the big champion of clean technology in the United States, Al Gore. Al Gore is sitting there while Apple is doing as much as $73 billion a year. Now, if you think about it, it's a big deal that TSMC, the world's leading foundry, now has said it's going up from about $17 billion to $30 billion a year to create the most advanced foundries in the world. Apple is doing this just to get the stock price higher and for people to sell their stock. And this is not just uh, confined to them. Cisco is no longer a world leader in innovation and technology. It sells a lot of enterprise networking equipment because since 2002, it's just spent over 100% of the, its profits buying back its stock alone, plus more on dividends. So then you come back to the issue of what could have they have invested in? Actually, a lot of the apologists, let's say, for stock buybacks say, well, they didn't have anything to invest in. What? Intel, Apple, Cisco, they had nothing to invest in. Well, then the people who are running those companies shouldn't be running those companies. What's going to happen? Are these corporations going to pick apart this infrastructure bill and the investment? Well, they'll they'll make, just... They're happy to have the government spend money and, and taxpayers spend money, but they're not going to give us anything back. They're going to keep trying to avoid taxes, as they did with the tax cuts in 2017. Everybody knew that they were being done so they could do more buybacks to prop up the stock price. In fact, the Democrats are very critical of that. That's what they're going to keep doing. We have an agency called the Security and Exchange Commission was set up in the mid-30s to prevent manipulation and fraud in the stock market. We've been allowing companies to manipulate their stock markets for over for almost 40 years now. It should just ban stock buybacks. In fact, there is legislation from Senator Tammy Baldwin that's been in the Senate and also been introduced in the House since 2018 to ban stock buybacks. Biden himself spoke out against stock buybacks in a Wall Street Journal op-ed in September of 2016. And he doesn't write very many op-eds in the Wall Street Journal even before that. That's the first step is get these companies that have all these capabilities and for whom we are creating all this infrastructure and all these labor force of the future. Get them to actually build on that and create the jobs, create the competitive products, keep the United States at the cutting edge of world technology, which it is not at this point because of this behavior. 
William Lozonic is Professor Emeritus of Economics at the University of Massachusetts. He says over the past decade, top U.S. companies spent a total of $5.3 trillion on stock buybacks, equal to 54% of their net income, and spending another $3.8 trillion on dividends, equal to 39% of their income. And the United States Supreme Court's most conservative member, Clarence Thomas, has come out again for cutting back federal laws that criminalize cannabis, a.k.a. marijuana, pot, weed, dope, and smoke, among others. Although zeal to rethink how this country criminalizes weed has so far no other supporters on the court. The case concerns pot, a pot dispensary in Colorado, although the pot shop, known as Standing Akimbo LLC, operates legally According to the laws of the state of Colorado, it can't take advantage of federal tax breaks because the feds considered an illegal drug business. This morning, the court decided not to hear the case, leaving the dispensary without the benefit of the tax break. In a statement, Thomas wrote, the federal government's current approach is half in, half out regime that simultaneously tolerates and forbids local use of marijuana. Thomas adds the result is unequal treatment of marijuana businesses. There are 36 states that allow marijuana to be possessed or sold, while 18 states have fully legalized the herb for adults. And in another key decision coming today on the heels of Reclaim Pride Parade in New York City over the weekend, the Supreme Court declined to hear a legal battle over the rights of transgender students, handing Gavin Grimm a victory over the Virginia school board that denied him the right to use the boys' restroom. Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito said they would have accepted the case. The court's decision doesn't establish a national president nor signal agreement with the lower court. Legal battles involving transgender rights are being fought throughout the country. A direct split among the regional appeals courts is often what usually prompts the justices to weigh in. Speaking of pride, a celebratory and peaceful queer liberation march arrived in Washington Square Park yesterday to be met by phalanxes of police in orders to disperse. Despite confrontations, though, the fountain in the middle of the park in lower Manhattan's Greenwich Village was the site of at least one marriage engagement. It was a large crowd as thousands arrived after a parade south along 7th Avenue. But witnesses say suddenly dozens of police vans circled around the park with their sirens and lights flashing. Police announcing the gathering is illegal. Reportedly, the officers used mace, bicycles and barricades to retake the now crowded park, arresting at least eight people. Apparently, the police action didn't have much effect as huge crowds partied in the downtown hotspot until well after the midnight curfew. including a conga line and a dancer holding a sign announcing Free Palestine.
Politics was mixed with the fun. The Reclaim Pride Coalition began as a protest to the official Heritage of Pride March two years ago. Reclaim Pride Coalition organizer J.W. Walker says the split occurred after years of what he says was over-policing of the event. There really seemed to be a significant shift during the Giuliani administration. The numbers of police present along the parade route seemed to markedly increase. The use of the French-style bike rack barricades, those began under Giuliani. That kind of closed off participation from onlookers in the parade. So that was a a shift uh, along with the over-policing of the end point of the parade, the West Village area. and The over-barricading are all around that area west of 7th Avenue, a lot of members of the community started stepping back from participating in Pride because of just the sort of overwhelming police presence that then only grew after 9-11, supposedly of protecting people from a possible terrorist attack. All of that over-barricading actually made people less safe because in the event of a terrorist attack, the people in the immediate area of that terrorist attack would have been hemmed in by interlocking metal barricades and not able to escape. Reclaim Pride Coalition organizer J.W. Walker. And finally, on Friday, the NYPD released photos and videos of the suspects accused of defacing a George Floyd statue in Brooklyn with white supremacist graffiti. Four men with bandanas covering their faces were caught on camera walking toward the six-foot memorial at Flatbush Junction with one of the men appearing to shake a can of spray paint. The statue was unveiled on Juneteenth. It was defaced sometime after 3 a.m. on Thursday. In a tweet, Mayor Bill de Blasio called the vandalism a racist, loathsome, despicable act of hate. The co-founder of the Global Project Against Hate and and Extremism is Heidi Byrick. She says the organization behind it is neo-Nazi. Patriot Front has been around since 2017. They formed just shortly after the Unite the Right riots that happened in Charlottesville, Virginia in August of 2017. And look, it's it's your standard white nationalist group. They believe the United States should be a white ethno state. They're racist. They're anti-Semitic. They'd like to throw all people of color out of this country. And one of the things that they're known for are these sort of stunts, all these defacing George Floyd memorials is part of. Are they hardcore neo-Nazis? If you're going to argue that people have to be forcibly removed from the United States because they're not white, that falls under the definition of ethnic cleansing. Yes, that's a war crime. That's calling for genocide. They engage in a lot of neo-Nazi rhetoric and whatnot. I mean, they're a pretty hardcore group. The ideas that they are professing are some of the most dangerous ideas mankind has ever come up with. Which nook does this group occupy? Patriot Front folks are very close to the neo-Nazis at the Daily Stormer, which is a horrifically anti-Semitic organization. This is one of the most hardcore areas of white supremacy. That's where the Patriot Front is. And they have held quite a few marches in Washington, D.C. over the last couple of years, even during the pandemic. But what they really do is a lot of leafleting and flyering and a handful of their members, including their leader, Thomas Russo, have actually been arrested for engaging in some of this activity. And it happens all over the country. Are they violent? Is that it? Or are they mostly just propaganda? Yeah, this is mostly about propaganda, but their ideas, the things that they're calling for, if they were to occur, which, you know, I highly doubt and hope to God is not going to happen. Those things would require massive amounts of violence to achieve. What I also think we should remember here is that this particular group involved out of one that was at Charlottesville, and that led to the death of an anti-racist protester and the injury of many others. 
So we shouldn't take Patriot Front presence anywhere lightly. And they're obviously trying to provoke people by attacking these George Floyd uh, memorials. I mean, obviously, this is despicable activity and their beliefs are despicable, but law enforcement should pay close attention to them. The White House announced, I think last week or a while ago, that they have this new initiative around racial violence by these white supremacist groups. What do you think of that? I think it's very important. First of all, it's the first time that an American administration has put out a plan specifically to combat white supremacy and anti-government groups. We've never had a strategy document like that before. Now, that said, it's at a very high level. It lays out basically plans for plans, information sharing, uh, working with social media companies to reduce the amount of disinformation, more law enforcement engagement and coordination, working with our international allies. All of this stuff is really good and really important. And we'll see now as the plan is actually enacted how this all plays out. What should be done? The most basic thing is increasing the resources that are available and the priority of combating white supremacy in the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, and places like that. That's what needs to happen. Just having Biden say this matters was already a big deal. But now we've got to fund it. We've got to put the resources out there, the manpower, so that we can finally deal with this threat that has been on the rise now for two decades. Arrest the leaders or, you know, find, make crimes against these people. Is that what they, what they deserve? If they're committing crimes, if they're threatening to commit crimes, all that stuff needs to be looked at very closely by law enforcement and cases need to be made. And I get the feeling like this is starting to happen. That's serious. You know, we have more than 500 people arrested now related to the Capitol insurrection. But the question is, over time, will the resources be provided? Will the monitoring of extremism improve on the government? You know, everything looks good right now, but the proof will be in the pudding. What do you think is going on out there that we don't know about? A couple things that worry me greatly. We saw this hate crime attack yesterday outside of Boston where this man who had white supremacist anti-Semitic materials killed two black people and intentionally targeted them. And there were two other plots, both by Texans that were broken up, one to bomb an Amazon cloud facility and another to attack a Walmart, like what happened in El Paso. Those are the kinds of things I'm most concerned about. And it's a good thing that in the case of the two Texas men who had very scary plans, that those plots were caught before they came to fruition. Terrorism. That makes me think that law enforcement, yeah, this is terrorism. And I'm glad law enforcement is paying attention to it. Because I don't think that's going to tamp down. We're going to see more lone wolves with more plots. And if we can catch them, if they're talking about it online, that would be a good thing. The Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, made a statement about uh, it's okay to teach what he called woke or what uh, the president is, uh, former president was lambasting him and calling him basically a, a traitor. I thought Milley's comments were extraordinary. I think these attack attacks on critical race theory coming from the right are absurd. You cannot understand American history if you don't understand the history of race. It's, it's woven deeply into the fabric of this nation. And I thought what the general said was right, which is we need to understand why people are angry, what is going on, and how to make this place a better place. And that also means reckoning with our racial history. Heidi Byrick is co-founder of the Global Project Against Hate and Extremism. Another George Floyd statue in Newark was also vandalized, apparently by the same group. And that's some of the news for Monday, June 28th, 2021. The news producer, Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>